to Open Mind UFO Radio. I am Alejandro Rojas and I am joined by Mr. Reptilian McClellan. Yes, I was going to say don't let out my secret, but that's Mm. not a secret anymore. Yeah, you've been exposed uh, quite a while ago. Oh yeah. As a reptilian you are. Yep. Yep. No denying it anymore, buddy. No, it's not worth it. Did you get in trouble with the reptilian hierarchy when you were outed? No, see, that's a misconception that reptilian, mm-hmm. reptilians try to stay hidden, and they don't. We don't, yeah. we don't care. We're, we're yeah. out and we're proud. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, when you were outed, so was Maureen, so was Antonio, so was my girlfriend. And um, everybody is actually real happy about it. Yeah, it seems to be. I mean, why wouldn't you want to uh, buddy up? Yeah. No, like Antonio. The, the you're afraid of. You got to keep your enemies close. Yeah. Antonio did get a little disturbed, though. Actually, he got a little upset by it. He took a, a offense a bit, didn't he? Yeah, he did, and that made me wonder <laughs> if he actually is a reptilian. Yeah. I don't know. His his response is a little strange. Yeah. What's he hiding? So, and people would like to know those who are interested. I haven't talked to Antonio lately. I I have, and uh, I went to go see him. And uh, he's kind of, some people have been asking, where is he? And he's kind of gotten out of ufology for the moment. He's on hiatus, and he's just kind of relaxing, chillaxing. Um, and he is uh, doing well. But just like our speaker, our, our guest today, he has letting his hair, uh, facial and head hair, grow out. So he looks like a bit of a mountain man, although... Uh, our our guest today is more of a rebel hippie. Uh, his new kind of persona uh, for Rebel Richard Dolan. That's our, who we had on today. The reinvented Rebel Hippie Dolan. Yeah. Although our, our talk is kind of fun because uh, I wanted to touch on some, some subjects that are kind of hot right now. Uh, like, for instance, he's been getting some heck over this breakaway civilization stuff. And uh, so... Uh, there is so we talked about that um but that was kind of fun and uh then we also talked about the people over at ufo updates ought to like it because we talked about ufo updates and then we did get into some debate though with rebel rich about uh mufon so but uh, just so the listeners know even though we get in some heated debate it all comes out well and we're buddies and we had we had a good time uh, this weekend, because we were at the Travis Walton Skyfire Summit. So that was kind of fun. So, Jason, you kind of held down the fort for us. Yep, and I'm glad you made it back. Yeah, luckily we did. Although, in this experience, I have to say, because you know how we are um, very honest. I was going to say brutally honest, but we try to soften the blow 
with our honesty here at yeah, uh, Open Minds. We're not brutal. Yeah, not brutal. We're kindly honest. Uh, but I have to say, alien abductees should not organize conferences. Why is that? Because at least with this example, uh, to say organize uh, would be the, not an accurate term when it comes to this conference. It was very unorganized. Stuff was everywhere. The schedule wasn't uh, right. It, it, things weren't on time. Uh, Travis was late to everything, uh, three hours in one case. Uh, but it was fun. It was just, you know, on mountain time. It was like, you know, show up to the conference at 9 a.m., What's going to happen in the next 12 hours is totally up in the air, but you're going to enjoy it and have a good time. So just relax and uh, for the city folks, put your put your watches away, put your day planner away and just uh, go with the flow. And most people did go with flow and, and had a really good time. So and of course, there were some great speakers there. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, it is somewhat usual conferences especially this type of conference to not go very smoothly to not be organized and to not stay on schedule yeah but uh if that was the case with this one and people still had a good time that's really good to hear yeah and i gotta say you know so people know we offered our help and uh i think they're they're gonna take more of our help next year but uh because we we love these guys, we really want them to be successful, and hopefully they'll be more on time and stuff. But either way, it was uh, people had a lot of fun, and it was great, and uh, of course a lot of great speakers. You could go to uh, my Facebook to see more, but we're also going to have a video out of this the night watch where we got to do a sky watch, you know, at the location of the sighting. So that was really cool to see. And uh, I put a little video up on my Facebook of Maureen kind of uh, at the site, kind of walking us through what happened. And you can see Michael, our, our, our uh, you know, guy who, our producer, I should say. I call him a video guy, but he's more than that. He uh, organizes our videos. So that's kind of fun. So you guys could see the site. And we'll have another more formal video out with some really cool interviews with Travis at the courthouse in Holbrook where everything went down. Uh, but we'll have that up soon. So it was a lot of fun. It was really cool. So one thing you can't blame Travis of is not providing a, a great show. He is a showman. That's great. I'm glad to hear it. Mm -hmm. You're kind of quiet about the whole thing. Are you afraid of... I'm not afraid. I'm just kind of bummed that I missed the experience. You know. Oh, yeah unique kind of setting and experience and the, the people there and uh yeah it sounded like it had all the right elements and i was really looking forward to to that when i heard about it so i was bummed mm. that i didn't didn't get to make it happen but yeah. i'm glad you guys went and i'm glad it went off uh with its hitches it still managed to take place and people enjoyed it well you know they knew they would have some challenges this year but the reason they wanted to do it is because this is the 39th anniversary and they wanted to kind of work out some kinks for the big one which is the 40th anniversary so they will have it again next year for the 40th and i would say to you jason and to all of our listening audience who did not make it is to you've got a year to plan ahead um it's going to happen I'm certain it will happen, and uh, so get ready for it, and hopefully you can make it out. That sounds good, and I think it's very smart of them to uh, plan it this way, 
mm-hmm. do a year in advance, work out kinks, kind of work up to that big 40. Yeah, exactly. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So that'll be the big one. And if this makes you feel any better, Jason, I'll let the cat out of the bag. We did not see UFOs or extraterrestrials in our night sky watch. So you didn't miss anything in that respect. Well, now I don't need to watch the video that we'll put up later. Yeah, you do, because there's good interviews that you haven't seen before about okay. even details about the case and what happened at the courthouse that I have not heard before. So okay. there. Okay. Jeez, you little son of a gun. Well, let's get into UFO news. We didn't have a whole lot of UFO news on the website because we were uh, mostly out of town. But as I said, you were holding up the fort. And so... Um, you know, what came across the news desk that uh, you were excited about? Well, Alejandro, it's been kind of slow for UFO news lately. Um, that's not to say there hasn't been UFO news um, reported by the media around the world, but I, I found a lot of it kind of lacking in its substance and its uh, credibility. Really, yeah. there have been a lot of... Um, just reports about videos and you know unfortunately most of the times there's thrown up um the only source being scott waring from yeah. settings daily um kind of ludicrous videos in my opinion um with no additional information no source as to where the video came from um so a lot of disappointing news in my opinion in that respect but one story alejandro that i am following and really excited about uh just to see what comes of it. This is something we've been following for a while, and that's Mr. Tom DeLong. Uh, many people know him from his band Blink-182, and we've interviewed him on Spacing Out before. He's a veteran UFO researcher. He's, he's actively researched UFOs for more than 20 years, um, a longer period of time than most of the leading researchers in the field today. Um, he's well-read and has some pretty strong opinions on this stuff and continues in his research. He... I think it was 2000, 2011, he launched a website called Strange Times, and that was a news website that would post headlines about uh, UFOs and extraterrestrials, as well as other things that mainstream media wouldn't cover, and they would cover a lot of the stories that open minds would write. And that website uh, shut down. It went on a hiatus, and it, it's still on a hiatus. And we asked Tom about that when we interviewed him, and he said it was in a holding pattern. He had some ideas and some some other video elements and things that that he'd envision uh, for for taking strange times to a to a different place. Now, currently, and in, over the past several months, he's been posting photos on his various social media accounts, hinting at things that are in the works for strange times. One of those hints came last week when he po- posted uh, photos and a video of a trip he recently took to the area around Area 51. He posted a, a photo showing the uh, showing one of the gates of Area 51, the back gate of Area 51 in the background. Um, he posted a video of himself up on top of a, a summit where he has a good view around the area of Area 51. He also recently, just in the past couple of days, posted a photo of some documents that look like they're um, a lot of documents that many UFO researchers would be familiar with, like um, the Forrestal memo and things like that, um, that had certain things highlighted. And again, he says these are for upcoming strange times 
something. We don't know what Strange hmm. Times is going to be. And he's also hinted at, at a UFO video. He's been working on a film. So I think all these things are projects that are going to be revealed soon whenever Strange Times relaunches. And we don't know at all what that's going to entail. Hmm. So I'm curious. I think it's exciting, though, because, uh, you know, a lot of people go, oh, what do we care, rock and roll guy and, and UFOs. But Tom DeLonge's really smart. I mean, I've been really impressed with all of his interviews about UFOs that I've seen in the past, including the one he did with you and Maureen. Absolutely. I mean, I was blown away when I first heard him talk about UFOs because he's known as a lighthearted person. You know, if you know anything about his music, about Blink-182, they're very much about embracing youthfulness and just, you know, not caring at all about what anyone says and just being goofy and having fun. Um, their lyrics are very juvenile and, you know, I love Link 182, but, you know, they're very silly songs most of the time. But, you know, they do also have a song called Aliens Exist. And I mean, he's never been shy about his belief in UFOs and extraterrestrials. And like I said, he's well read, you know, when they go on tour and stuff, mm -hmm. he spent a lot of time actually reading books and doing his own research and meeting with people who are researchers. Um, he's very good friends with George Knapp and stays in constant contact with George Knapp. Um, so he is very much, and I, I time and time again refer to him as this, he is a UFO researcher. He's not just some enthusiast who crazy rocks star who thinks ufos are fun and neat and haha ha. now he's an actual ufo researcher he takes it very seriously and he is extremely well read so yeah he can speak intelligently about it so i am excited to see what he does with this new project yeah cool yeah i was excited when i saw your story about this because uh i agree i think it's exciting cool stuff so is there any story you want to talk about from last week? There is, and can you guess which one it is? Slim Pickens, like you said. So Slim Pickens. Um, let's see. I think you're going to talk about – no, I have no idea. I know you, you don't. like night vision, so maybe the Triangle UFO over Michigan. But, exactly. Uh, I love right. the night vision stuff, and I think this is – a really interesting video, and I'm sure you've looked at it quite a bit, so um, you'll um, have your own opinions. But, um, yeah, this is a night vision video. Now, there's a couple night vision videos, and essentially this guy says he saw uh, – it was about 8 p.m. on November 2nd. And he saw this triangular thing through the night vision. His friends couldn't see it well, without the night vision. He uh, then reviewed it, and he saw there was not only these – three lights in a triangular shape but there were other ufos and strangeness in the videos now i don't feel i don't see any of the other stuff he's seeing i i think that other stuff can be explained away pretty easily however i think the triangle is pretty interesting i mean it uh three dots that stay in a pretty solid triangular formation move very quickly through the sky and they do something that I think is probably very ill-advised where they start shooting a laser at it, which uh, right. even the witness thinks it, it could have been a stealth bomber or some sort of stealth technology. Well, if that's the case, what you're doing by shooting a laser at it is actually illegal and you can go to jail for it. So that's why I think that it, that's probably a bad idea. Um, but I think it's an interesting video. What do you think? 
it is an interesting video. I agree with you 100%. I think the other things mentioned can easily be explained. But the, the triangle object itself, we've seen this so many times in mm-hmm. night vision videos. They're so fascinating. They definitely exist. We've seen it so many times. I've seen it personally with my own eyes. There's some sort of weird triangle thing that moves up there that you see with night vision. Who knows what it is? Is it mm-hmm. extraterrestrial? Possibly. I don't know. But the thing is, I certainly not faked. This this stuff is actually up there. It's very yeah. fascinating to see some of the best UFO videos in my opinion that you can see pretty readily if you take the time to look for it um but yeah the laser pointing is so stupid in my mind even if it is extraterrestrials i i don't think extraterrestrials would appreciate having a laser <laughs> shot in their eyes when they're flying i mean it's very dangerous for for flying vehicles how this green laser is shot in their eyes yeah yeah so i when i saw that i was like uh oh well uh, I, and i i don't know if this witness uh realizes that uh this is illegal but uh i should also mention that this is a mufon case so this was written by roger marsh and as is the case with the mufon cases they do not uh reveal you know the witnesses they keep them anonymous um until they get permission to uh do otherwise and uh there is an investigation ongoing however i'm not gonna wait so uh, i'll probably get some opinions uh on what people think about this video and uh, we'll definitely share that with our audience. But, yeah, I think it's a really cool video. People need to check it out. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So that's at openminds.tv with other stories uh, and with our spacing out from uh, this last week. So it's getting a lot of attention because uh, I think we, we talked about this last week. But this uh, guy from Sri Lanka I think I kept saying India. He's from Sri Lanka, this politician who says some space agency tried to steal their uh, meteorite that uh, might have some evidence for extraterrestrial life. However, uh, it didn't get stolen, and scientists have written up uh, information about this meteorite. And I guess in particular, he said it was creationists who did it. Dun, dun, dun. Was no good creationists. No, we'll get them. String them up. That's what we say out here in the Southwest. Which uh, is another fun thing. This was a total cowboy Travis Walton Skyfire Summit. I mean, it was uh, near the area and it, you, there were horses and this was in a barn where right next to it were horses and, and mules. And uh, if you see on my Facebook, oh, this is cool. You'll love this because you're an animal lover. They had a dog on the grounds called Scout, and he's got this big GPS transponder around his neck because this guy just will take off. He's the cutest little fella, uh, really, like, serious little guy, uh, really cool. But uh, this is so they can find him because he takes off, but also that it can beep, and when it beeps, uh, he knows he has to come home, so he'll come home wherever he is. How well, that's cool. very smart of him. Yeah, that, isn't that uh, cool? They should keep him inside so he doesn't run away. <laughs> yeah, well, the owner loves to have him by his side, so he walks around everywhere the owner goes. It's pretty cute. Pretty cool guy. But without further ado, we should probably talk to uh, Rebel Richard Dolan. Rebel Rich. I am very happy to be joined here by Richard Dolan, so welcome. Hi, Alejandro. Thank you. So it's fun to be out here in Heber, so close to the Travis Walton site. Uh, how's your weekend been so far? It's been busy. Uh, every conference that it was like this, um, 
and it's been enjoyable. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the first conference that Travis has put together, and uh, I think, you know, I think everyone's trying to feel their way around and make sure that it's <laughs> yeah. a good experience. That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> that is a but, nice way to put it. But it's actually, I've, I've enjoyed it, and um, the best mm -hmm. thing about any of these conferences for me is I learned from everyone who attends. Yeah. That's honestly the case. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because even if there are some organizational problems, mm -hmm. At least for the speakers or for uh, people like us who are here to do interviews or, or talk to people, it's still an enjoyable experience because you still yeah. get to hang out with your colleagues and everything. For sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things I wanted to talk about was Travis's case because it's something that I think a lot of, you know, real conservative um, uh, and, and I'd like to know what you thought at the beginning. Um, uh, researchers struggle with because it's so strange it's such a weird occurrence that is kind of out of the norm but yet it seems so credible and it's yeah. hard to discount uh, what Travis went through what was it like for you when you first heard about his case I got into uh, you know like Travis's case is one of about several hundred you know miniature minefields that dot UFO research there's Bob Lazar, there's Gulf Breeze, there's Travis, there's there's dozens and hundreds of others. Mm -hmm. um, I, I go into each one of these with my own sense of trepidation and fear, to be honest with you, before I make a decision. Because you know that there's just so much contentiousness on all different sides of any particular issue. Yeah. And, and you know that whatever you decide as a researcher, someone's not going to be happy with what you think. Yeah. That's a given. Uh, but going into Travis's case, the way that I researched it was uh, very simple. Uh, not even talking to Travis, I went through as many original sources as I could. There's a lot of old issues of the APRO Bulletin, which covered this uh, as it was happening, and I have all of those. Uh, all the books, Travis's book, Philip Class's book, um, you know, interviewing Travis, learning everything that I can about the case, what you find is that um, this is, I think, a very strong case. As, as outrageous as it might seem to some people, uh, there are too many things lining up to support the fact that Travis Walton was abducted by what appears to be some kind of a group of entities on a craft, on a flying saucer. That's what it really does look like. Uh, this is not simply an important case in UFO history. It's an important case in American history. Uh, you know, keeping in mind that this started out as a, as a missing person case mm -hmm. and a murder, a potential murder investigation. This isn't just an ordinary UFO event. This is something that got national attention right out of the gate because you had six loggers coming in reporting that this man was abducted by a UFO. They were polygraphed, and fundamentally they all pass at poly. The only one who, who uh, uh, failed was, was hiding a prior conviction. But to the questions, did you murder Travis Walton? No. Did you see what looked like a flying saucer? Yes. Did you know All of those types of questions, they all passed. And have that many individuals beat a polygraph, that itself seems to be highly uh, vanishing to impossible, it seems mm -hmm. to be the odds on there. Uh, Travis himself took three polys, I think that I'm aware of. He supposedly flunked one, but when you actually look at the details of that one, which I have, I've read the transcripts, uh, it was obvious that he went into an entirely hostile situation with someone who was absolutely unethically trying to, trying to trip him up. So I think actually Travis... Travis came through with flying colors. Um, having known Travis now for, I guess, close to a decade, I've spent a lot of time with him. I took a trip across the state of Pennsylvania in my car with him, just the two of us. We had a lot of time just to talk. I will say this. 
Uh, everyone who knows him feels that he's an honest person of integrity. I don't think, I, I don't know anyone who knows him who feels differently. But as I've come to know him, I've, I've found that he's a very analytical and intelligent guy as well. And he's, you know, he's almost notoriously quiet, notoriously laid back, uh, humble. And he's been utterly consistent. There's just nothing about his case that, that seems to be um, a miss here. There are debunkers like Philip J. Class, who, uh, who went out of his way in his career to smear many, many other individuals, not just Travis Walton. So that's Class's M.O., and that's hard to take that seriously. Right. So what it looks like is that Travis Walton, who was missing for five days, police team searches men on horseback, search dogs, the whole thing. No one found him. He turns up five days later, um, dehydrated, depleted in many ways nutritionally. Yeah, I mean, what he remembers is that he was taken, and and I had never had any reason to doubt this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at least for me these days, I kind of play devil's advocate in my mind. I always am looking for kind of the, the null hypothesis. Right. And I'm looking at Travis's case, and I'm saying, you know, this is weird. This, you know, looking at it. <clears throat> If I'm to say this isn't real, what is there out there can, that can even indicate that? And being so close to it, knowing him, there is nothing. There really isn't any. No, I, I'm, I'm with you in the attitude. I mean, you want to go into a case with a skepticism, not a debunking religious type of skepticism, but right. an, a rational skepticism for sure. And we want to ask ourselves, what are other reasonable possibilities here? In this in this case, I guess the reasonable one would be an elaborate hoax. Mm -hmm. um, that's really the only thing that I can yeah. realistically think of. But when you look at the hoax scenario for the Travis Walton case, it just it doesn't seem to stand up. Right. So uh, what it looks like is that Travis Walton was taken by individuals who appear some to be totally human-looking, others not human-looking, on a craft um, for what seems to be five days. And during most of that time, he seemed to have been completely unconscious. Yeah. What it looks like is that he got zapped maybe accidentally, and uh, they had a moment where they thought, well, let's let's fix him. Yeah. That's actually what it looks like to me. Yeah, me too. I've said that yeah. since the beginning, and uh, and now Travis has kind of adopted that idea as well. So the other thing that, that gets me with this is Travis is so open. I mean, not only does he share his, his thoughts, uh, his life, but, you know, like he's got his grandkids here, his family, he takes That's his right. kids. It's this amazing openness as well. Whereas I think it's not just looking at his credibility, then you have insight into his kids' credibility, his his family's credibility, where you would see some cracks somewhere. And as much time as I've spent around that, I've never seen any cracks. That's a very good point. I agree with that. Uh, I just met some of his family yesterday. They're very lovely mm -hmm. people. Yeah, they're great yeah. people. So it's funny because you mentioned Bob Lazar, which is another one of these cases. And I don't know what it is like if you check your Google Analytics and stuff and see, you know, what people are searching when they find your site. But for us, they're searching UFO, UFOs, Travis Walton, Bob Lazar. Is that right? Those are the top, always in the top <clears throat> ten, if not the top five. Interesting, yeah. So they're big cases. Yeah. And well, I Lazar, Lazar probably was maybe the biggest, uh, you know, landmine case that I had when I was mm -hmm. doing my second volume of UFOs in the National Security yeah. State. I probably feared... Bob Lazar the most of anything. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually very much looking forward to the fact uh, to getting a chance to meet him uh -huh. at the next uh, Open Minds conference. Yeah, I'm so you'll be there as well. Oh, absolutely. That's great. What are your thoughts about his case right now? Or, or what yeah. do you feel? This is my take on Bob Lazar. Um, 
I think he, he strikes me as a kind of person who just doesn't give a shit about what other people think about him. Mm-hmm. Hope I could say that. I just didn't really. Well, you did. I just did. <laughs> I don't think he cares. Um, you wouldn't be the first, so don't worry. He um, strikes me as having been truthful with what he has said. And, you know, does that mean what he says is true? This is the question. The things that Bob Lazar went through in his so-called briefing are highly unorthodox. Mm-hmm. You know, he's taken to a place south of Area 51, S4, and he's given these books to read. This, from everything that I've been able to, to look into subsequently, this does not seem to be normal at all. When you're in a com- highly compartmented situation, um, you're, you're given very specific, limited types of data only so that what you're supposed to know is is what you know. In Lazar's case, they basically toss all of this information out to him about the nature of these other beings, how long they've been here, and, and all, all of this information, which seems somehow wrong. Um, and then his whole uh, his whole um, statement that you know this crap is run on element 115, mm-hmm. and and that that is used to create a kind of bending of space time to warp space. The fact is, some of the the, uh, the physical concepts that he talks about, I think, have been borne out by um, mathematical equations by, say, like Miguel Alcubier, just a few years later at the University of Wales, who came up with his own mathematical model of warp drive. Mm-hmm. It's quite fascinating, really. But the whole idea of element 115, I think, is a dead end. Because I don't really think that's what what is the solution here. I think it's more of like a zero-point energy type of a situation, more along the lines of another leak that took place a year earlier, which is the so-called alien reproduction vehicle. And I am much more inclined to place some credence in that story for a number of reasons. So if that's true, if you've got craft that are running on zero point, that are traversing the solar system, let's just say, and you want to keep that secret, let's say we're on the team and we're building zero point craft, but there are competitors out there who may get wind of the secret, what might we do? One thing we might do is take someone who we've psychologically profiled, who know, we know won't care and won't be able to keep a secret, which he didn't do, mm-hmm. give him wrong information, I mean, element 115 jokingly has been referred to as unobtainium because it's so impossible to get, so that our competitors might think, oh, element 115, how are we ever going to do that? Let's just give up our project. Mm-hmm. That's a thought. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is true, but it's a thought. In other words, that Lazar could have been used in a, in a way as a sophisticated way of, of disinforming. Possibly. Mm-hmm. You know what? I've looked into this a long time, and and I wouldn't pretend that I know this better than anyone else has looked at it. Um, but I I don't dismiss him out of hand the way people like Stanton Friedman do, mm-hmm. and I and I like and respect Stanton's work. But George Knapp has also investigated Bob Lazar. George Knapp has demonstrated that Lazar did work at Los Alamos National Labs in the early 80s when Lazar said he did. Lazar did certainly appear to have met um, with. Uh, Edward Teller, on that one occasion at Los Alamos. I mean, it, it all everything seems to fit. Mm-hmm. Um, when my when my book was coming out, where I was writing about Lazar, I was at the Crash Retrieval Conference. It was the first place where I spoke about it. It was in uh, late 2008. John Alexander was in my face that whole weekend, and uh, the main thing Alexander wanted to know was what was my attitude on Lazar. Mm-hmm. That's the number one thing he wanted to know. Interesting. The man would not leave me alone. Yeah, he he's he, he used all of his NLP out, yeah. techniques and all of his other mind control yeah. <laughs> uh, try to, to get it out of me. And I I said I don't really care. I'll tell you. I think Lazar is 
probably fundamentally truthful with that caveat that I just gave you. Mm -hmm. Alexander said, well, he's just full of it. Five minutes after Alexander left me, I was approached by Ron Regeer, who was... Is Ron at this conference? No, yes. I haven't seen I saw, him. Well, Ron was here yesterday briefly. Was he really? Because he does live yes. nearby. No, and, and Ron, Ron is a very highly technical guy. Worked at Aerojet in the aerospace industry for many years, and I've known and respect Ron greatly. Ron Regeer comes up to me and says, oh, you're writing about Lazar. I said, yes. He said, Bob Lazar is an absolutely number one stand-up guy. I've known him for years. I knew him long before the world knew about him, and I am telling you that guy is legit. So there you have it. You've got mm -hmm. these two people who they claim yeah. to be the expert. Um, again, my take on Lazar is that I don't think he came in to make it up. I think he's been entirely, completely consistent with every single facet of his story. Um, and I think he's calling it the way he believes it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it's interesting because I think the way you had these two credible people coming at you is a good way to frame the, the Lazar situation because it is so baffling. And, you know, it's funny because I was starting to get to a low point where I was really skeptical. And then I went to the MUFON Symposium last year and, and George Knapp spoke about oh, the case. Right? Yeah. And it was very compelling. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean... And the other thing George Knapp has were said... Were you there at the symposium? No, I haven't been invited since 2011 when I bitched at MUFON's leadership. For oh, yeah. To reform. And I got Clifford Cliff about to have a... A burst of blood vessel, I think. Well, yeah. It's all true. He got really mad at me. That he got it. Oh, I know he got he upset. He was furious. Lots of people me. got upset. I'll be Mo honest. Most people supported me by far. Really? And if, if they don't, they can kiss my ass, okay? <laughs> well, How about we say that? Which is fine, however. MUFON needed okay. significant reforms, which, by the way, they are starting to undertake. Mm -hmm. And Jan Harzan is running MUFON. But don't you think it would have been more productive to speak to them in person? If you would have said, hey, guys, I want to come to your board meeting and I want to talk to you about some of these problems, they would have let you come in and talk to them. Listen, you know what? I spoke for 15 minutes at the end of my lecture. You you can find what I said on YouTube. It's the most tame I was there. statement there. It, well, yeah. On YouTube, it was tame. In, in the context of that conference, maybe not quite as tame, but it was polite. And all I said is that MUFON's leadership is very opaque, which is true. And MUFON's board is not responsive to its members, which was true. Maybe they're trying to change it now. MUFON was an organization that sucked in all the information, gave nothing back out, which was also true. So what do you want, you know? Uh, MUFON's been around for 40 years yeah. at the time. Their membership was hovering at around two, 3,000 at the time. Mm -hmm. You know what? No, there's absolutely room for improvement. So I don't take that back at all. And they, they haven't invited me, though, to any of the symposia since. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's funny. I just think that I just felt at the time especially and uh, um, that I think that people need to understand why these things happen. I mean, and I don't know how you felt at the time, but there's no grand conspiracy behind the scenes. And um, thank you for resolving that, Alejandro. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate that. Do you feel that they're... Listen, MUFON has been an organization that had naval intelligence from the get-go. They've had military people at the top from the get-go. You can call it what you want. Well, they right? still do. But whether it's a conspiracy or an agenda, mm -hmm. either way, there's been a very, very specific thing about MUFON mm -hmm. that has been made it a very kind of public, unfriendly organization and has genuinely brought in a lot of suspicion. This is not an outrageous and unfair uh, thing for people to have suspicion about MUFON. Well, often suspicions are based off of ignorance of knowing what's really going on behind the scenes. And I could say that because I was their public director for a large oh, yes, period of this time. 
in fact, just prior to this this period. And I was never told not to talk about anything. I mean, there was people a little uncomfortable when it came to the Stephenville situation and how much that I interacted with the press. But it was mainly because they didn't want a circus type of atmosphere. Well, keep in mind, in 2011, when I made my statement in 2011, that yeah. was right on the heels of several explosive interviews about MUFON that was going on at the time. Mm -hmm. Jerry Pippen was doing those. Chase Kletsky, yeah. who's a very close friend of mine now. I know Chase very well. I didn't know her at the time. Uh, James Clarkson. And of course, Elaine Douglas. Let's, let's not forget Elaine. Oh yeah, she was uh, the leader Elaine, of the, rest in peace. That's right. The revolution. And Elaine, you know, uh, was always a difficult person to deal with. I've known her. I knew her for years. But Elaine is a smart lady and dedicated, and she believed in what she had to say about about Mufon, and I respected it. But in terms of what Chase Kletsky had to say, Ch Chase was the star team manager for Mufon for a while. And what Chase said to Jerry Pippen, and she has said to me a number of times, is that none of those investigations were not compromised by upper-level MUFON. And she was quite explicit about it. So it was in the context of yeah. these, you, you can say what you want about Chase, but I'm telling you, it was in that context yeah. that I made my statement about MUFON, you know, either reform and get with the program and get with the people, or you'll find yourself left in the dust. Mm -hmm. And I, that was not an outrageous thing for me to say. Yeah, and I guess... <laughs> But of Just course, to, it's it's in their it's in their uh, totally in their rights uh -huh. not to invite me back, and I knew that full well when I made my statement. Yeah, and it I think that the issue I think you're right in uh, certainly there are communication issues obviously because people were inside a movement having issues, but that word compromise when it comes to compromise and cases being compromised, a lot yeah. of people were taking this idea of this compromise to be uh, some sort of hiding of information. Well, all talk, of those, talk to Chase about it sometime. Well, she's, she's all of those explicit. cases, I, I was working directly with the Star Team. Every single one of their best cases that they worked with Bigelow were with were not only in the MUFON journal, we posted them in our magazines and on our website, which caused some people to get frustrated. Why does Open Minds have them? Luckily, I had some inside you know, information mm -hmm. since I just came from MUFON. But it was all shared. Now, when it comes down to uh, um, having the manpower to get that stuff out, the and you know that's where we've come in as open mind is to to work that PR side because certainly their uh, heads are usually in investigation in the case and they haven't been doing the best in the past in their interactions with the public. But um, it's funny we went off on this tangent, but it's kind of cool. No, no, I'm glad we did. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I gleaned your, your position on MUFON. I respect it. Uh, there are many, many excellent people in MUFON. Yeah. Um, and those four great... people. I mean, you got to admit, it's great to have the help of people who are ex-military. Yeah, as long as they don't have an agenda that's, that directs the organization one way or another. Mm -hmm. A little, you know, you have people like Thomas Dooley, who's basically run it from on high in, in the shadows for many, many years. I've heard this from a number of high-level MUFON people. Well, I've worked with him directly. He's now in any shadow. I, I worked directly and spoke with him constantly, and I still see him quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly these people, a lot of them are very conservative when it comes to this field. That's right. And they are very protective over the credibility of MUFON. And um, that offers some difficulty, especially... Um, as time goes on and people have different ideas about the phenomena. Right. But uh, he certainly was not someone who was pulling any strings. Uh, most of the people who are pulling the biggest strings are the directors, who um, often 
are very accessible, such as Clifford Cliff. You got to admit he was maybe not to you after your. I don't know. Cliff, I, I never had anything wrong with. I had no problem personally with Cliff. Yeah, no. he's a great guy. Yeah. So, so that's kind of funny. How did we get off on this tangent? Well, we were doing Lazar. Oh yeah. I think right, and then somehow we got all Mufon on each other. Yeah. That's how that happened. <laughs> George, oh, George Knapp. George Knapp, right? Thank yeah. You. Uh, oh, so right. I, I, I oh, at the Mufon Symposium. By... Yeah. Okay. There, there we, we go. go. Yeah. We thank just, you. Off we went to the races. That's Karen. But Knapp. Um, yeah, Knapp has uh, one thing that he, he's impressed upon people for years is that Lazar was merely the first of about 25 or so other witnesses that George Knapp cultivated over the years, 25 or so, two dozen, mm-hmm. who, uh, in, in, as George has put it a number of times, strongly corroborated various parts of what Lazar had originally said. Uh, the problem that he's had with all of these witnesses is that at the 11th hour, in many cases, they just declined to go public. Right. But, um, look, I, I have no problem believing in George Knapp's credibility on this. He's interviewed these people. He's talked about their cases uh, fairly explicitly in public, just without names. Mm-hmm. So that if Lazar was lying, man, did he really luck out and you know really get lucky with a lot of these details that many of these other people have been coming forward with. Yeah. Well, luckily you're not banned from the UFO Congress, and you will be speaking. Hooray! <laughs> and so I enjoy the UFO Congress. I'm happy to be there. Got to make George Knapp's talk because he's going to do the same talk at the, that doubt. he did at the symposium, yeah. but a little more. And then we're going to move into the QA with Lazar. So you got to be there mm-hmm. and let us know if you have questions for Lazar. We'll make sure we get him to George Knapp's hand there. I am, intend to put myself in front of Lazar at some point or another. I'm yeah. Try. Well, that I, I don't know. He he, has, we'll he might not be as willing with communicating with people, but yeah. I think that he's going to find, because this is interesting, Travis Walton, when he first came out again, because he, he kind of went away from this field for a long time, right. and uh, when he came to the UFO Congress before we had it, it was like 2006, I think, he was really scared because he said he wasn't, uh, he hadn't been treated very nice by the UFO community, he felt, in the past, because there were a lot of skeptics, <clears throat> class was right. around and stuff like that. So he was really nervous, but he was welcomed back with open arms, and I really feel that Lazar will probably be treated the same way, and hopefully he'll feel uh, yeah, right. welcome, and he'll be more open to speak with, with everyone. He was at the center of such a firestorm back in those days, there was so much controversy, yeah. not hard to see why he would be kind of turned off by it. Yeah. So it's kind of funny because uh, we were talking about before this, you know, UFO updates and some of these forums that have a lot of mm-hmm. real conservative people in there who just, uh, it's kind of funny because I get a feeling you might feel the same way about this forum because I'm in there occasionally. I used to be in there more, but I found a lot of the finding counterproductive. But when I'm in there, it's kind of like I feel like, okay, thanks for sharing information, Alejandro, but we're keeping an eye on mm-hmm. you, you know. If you misstep, we're going to get all over you. Yeah, exactly. It's a kind of a culture that uh, I, I go to, to forums like that or above Top Secret and a lot of these other places. I'm there. I lurk. Yeah. I, I have no interest in getting involved because if, if I were to do that, a the, the amount of time suck it would be would be yeah. outrageous. And, and I know exactly what would happen. I would have people in there who would who would want to defend me, others who would want to attack various things that I've done. And then, then what do I do? I have to decide. Do I spend the time and, and actually defend myself? I see criticism of, of myself all the time. Yeah. I just let it go. I don't care anymore. Yeah. I, I truly just don't care. But but for me to get involved in these things, 
is just counterproductive for me. Yeah, it's funny because Lee Spiegel and I talk about this a lot, and he was on last week, and again it came up because he gets <clears> so you know heated about some of these conversations that come up in these forums and stuff. And I've always told him in the past, ignore it; it's a waste of time. Just do your research. Don't do, get worried yeah. about personalities. There are some people in this field. It's like it is their obsession to decide. They're the judge and jury. Who's good? Who's not good? Yeah. And they spend all of their time looking at specific researchers. Mm -hmm. Why don't you just do your own goddamn research and produce something? That's valuable for the rest of us. Amen there's to that, that. There's an, a thought. Amen to that. However, I sometimes I get brave, quote unquote, and I'll go into these forums and post some stuff or get in the conversation because I'll be like, well, they can check me because I don't mind my work being checked. I love it. You know, what am I missing? Am I screwing something no, up? Let me know. Absolutely. And then I get drawn into these things too much, and then I'm leaving, and then I'm upset, and I'm like, why am I even in this field? Ah. I don't mind being criticized at all. I mean, if someone has the big criticisms that I've that I've seen, uh, I got a lot of hell for the YouTube video that I did of the uh, the man who's allegedly CIA and dying. Oh yeah, that's that's the biggest one probably. And I'm happy to talk with you about that if you're interested. Okay. And then I get I get uh, criticism over the idea of a breakaway civilization. I get criticized over supposedly what I'm, what people think that I believe about disclosure, which is almost always wrong, because uh, it's obviously I haven't read anything that I've written. It was funny because you talked about that at your talk, and then later on, in a positive way, a researcher referenced your work and and what you had said. Oh, is that right? But he also didn't get it right. I don't think completely. I think he, he still misconstrued your. Uh, it's not that Your hard. Idea there. I mean, what I say, it's, it's, I mean, I guess you have to be a grown up to get it, but a lot of people just don't really. I mean, what I'll say on disclosure is this. Disclosure is never going to be some voluntary thing that the government does. It's never going to be this thing that gives us Shangri-La and, uh, you know, paradise. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, people like Stephen Greer might say that. People like Stephen Bassett might imply it. That has never, ever been anything that I've ever believed or implied. Mm -hmm. Never. I believe that, uh, fundamentally, I believe in truth. Fundamentally, I believe that a society should be based on truth, not lies. That's just my, you want to call that my article of faith, go ha have at it. And I believe that. So therefore, I do believe in openness on this subject of UFOs. And I believe in that sense in what we can call a disclosure. Because I do think that there's a kind of a cover-up. Does that mean I think the government knows everything? No. Does that mean, as Robbie Graham implied once, that I think the government's my big daddy and is going to you know, take my hand and show me? No, of course not. What am I, 10 years old? <laughs> Let's look at this as adults. All right. What I think is that there is a lot of truth that is being withheld in deep black communities, probably maybe forever inaccessible. But here's the thing. All right. We're not living in a static universe here. We're living in an era of great dramatic change. We've had 20 years of Internet that has utterly turned our world inside out more times than any of us can remember. Do we honestly think that 20 years from now, 2034, it's going to look like 2014? Who's that stupid? They're going to think that. The world is going to be fundamentally different. We've had WikiLeaks for just a decade or less. Mm -hmm. What are we going to have in another 20 years? Different in a way that we can't even conceive of Precisely. Today. So to just assume that tomorrow is going to look like yesterday, this is just foolishness. So I don't know how it's going to go down. But for me to assume that just because the government's never going to have a motivation to disclose, to think it'll never therefore happen, well, things happen that we cannot predict, mm -hmm. and and people can be forced into making decisions that they don't want to make. So when when there's a moment, if 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 a government is ever forced to make an admission, it doesn't mean they're going to be truthful. Yeah. Of course not. But it means fundamentally that this subject will be on 
the table for open discussion, and that's significant. Um, I was going to say one other thing here, and I lost my train of thought, but, um, you know, it's, and it's, oh, some people say, well, who even cares what the government thinks? Why are you depending on the government? Well, I, I care because I don't believe in living in a fascist society. I don't believe in living in a society where my government's not responsive to me. Mm -hmm. I'm an American citizen. That's my government. They're supposed to respond to me. I, I know full well we're living in an oligarchic kleptocracy. All right? But I don't have to like it, and I don't have to accept it. Mm -hmm. So if I want to force my government to be bent to my will and your will as citizens of this country, then God damn it, that's what we'll do. And I don't really feel like giving up on that. And if, if someone else wants to give up on it, that's their problem. Mm -hmm. So on that basis, on that principle, yes, of course I support disclosure on UFOs. doesn't mean it'll be a free ride. I think it'll be a big mess. So when people say, oh yeah, Dolan is one of these disclosure apostles, I just, I just laugh because it's obvious that they really don't know what they're talking about. The idea of a breakaway civilization, I think, is a fascinating idea. I'm proud that I coined the phrase. I'm proud that I, I thought about it. It doesn't mean that I know exactly how it is. But what I will say is it makes perfect sense to me, and, and a lot of things do fit in the idea that you have a classified world. Let's call it the classified world on steroids. Mm -hmm. That's really what I'm thinking of. In other words, a situation where let's have a couple of if-then statements here. If there is a genuine crash retrieval of what we would call a UFO, I believe the answer to that is yes, more than one time. That's my opinion based on my research. So I go with that. That means this is technology and bodies that have been studied clandestinely, obviously uh, in a highly classified environment, obviously in a way that is where certain key scientific understandings are not permitted fully to leak out to the rest of the world, except under highly controlled conditions where profit is assured. Mm -hmm. All right and where infrastructure is not disrupted. So for example, if there's an energy breakthrough that replaces petroleum, that gets held back. And what we are able to understand now about the classified patents is that A, there are thousands of them, and B, many of them have to do with energy. So, so what you have, while the rest of us are spinning our wheels metaphorically here with the petroleum-based infrastructure and other types of traditional technologies, it seems to me that there's this classified world that's been able to race ahead with certain breakthroughs that they are indeed permitted to pursue. So what happens? If they have the luxury of moving ahead and we are we are held back at this point right here, mm -hmm. we can't we can't progress further, but they can. Um, would they have the ability to race far, far ahead of us in certain key ways? Absolutely they would. And I'll tell you, I've spoken with a number of individuals, one here. Um, at this conference who gave me very good reason to believe that he was extremely knowledgeable about this, who have been confirming to me again and again that this is largely the case. Now, what is a breakaway civilization? What is a civilization? Mm -hmm. I think about this. You know, long before I did UFO research, I've been studying history. I read once Arnold Toynbee, you know, one of the Mozarts of historical writing. He was a genius. And he had, did a study of civilizations. That's what got me thinking about this. You know, what is it that characterizes a civilization? Well, one would be its uh, level of technology. One would be its uh, cosmology, its perception of itself in the cosmos. One would be its uh, type of social relation among themselves and with others. Many of these things. Um, that doesn't mean you could define a civilization, but I think this gives us an idea. And when you look at the classified world, when you look at um, how 
it would be possible for a classified in, uh, society to develop radical technologies, including some version of electrogravitics or anti-grav, which I think is entirely possible, which I think has been achieved, <laughs> including, therefore, the ability to go off-world in one way or another, including, therefore, the ability, maybe, to have interactions of some sort with this other reality. Well, that would give you a very different cosmology. It would give you very different technology and a different understanding of everything. Could you be considered a separate civilization, one that's broken away from the rest of us? I think, sure. Does that mean they all live on Mars in an alternative three scenario? No, I don't, I don't know. I think the action's on Earth. You know, the action's here. So they're here. Mm -hmm. Earth is a fascinating place for us and for others to be here. So I guess when you define, define a civilization or a society, and, and I think that's where it comes into some of the details. Well, I think there's a number of issues that some people have with it. Um, but um, Well, I'd like to know what are those issues. Maybe you can explain. Later. Yeah, I will. And that's what I want to talk about is, um, you know, when you talk about a society or a civilization, um, you're not, are you necessarily saying, you know, like families that are growing up in this alternative? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't go that far to say necessarily. Yeah. So I think that's what the issue becomes, and that's what I wrote about. I don't know if you saw because I made a comment in this string of stuff. Uh, I, I gleaned there. a quick thing that you wrote, but not, yeah. maybe not the details. So I was just talking about how I remember when I first heard you talk about breakaway civilizations, and I thought, I need to interview him about that because that's very interesting. I think it's a fascinating idea. And we did. We interviewed about it. And you said something very similar to what you said now. I think what happens, and I think it comes back to what we were talking about with all these battles and these forums and stuff, is a lot of kill the messenger. So I think a lot of people have ran with your concept and now are kind of like Richard Dolan says there's a breakaway civilization and they have oh, UFOs and oh, they're indeed. working I with mean, aliens. One of the crazy things about seeing, it's like a little child that grows up and becomes like a serial killer. So I see uh, people yeah. like Richard Hoagland took my phrase. Yeah. Alex Jones uses it all the time on his show. There you go. I hear it all the time. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know how I feel about it. On the one hand, I don't think it's a bad thing that this phrase is out there. But it's not something that anyone can control once it is out there. People use it for their own purposes. Well, what can I say about it? And I think what happens is it's, a, it's an intellectual idea and a world that is not always so intellectual that likes things to be simple. And so it's a bit nebulous for a lot of people. And so people define it in their own way. And I think it's those other definitions that people have a problem with but they make you the poster child That's for right. beating it all up. They can. That they can. They can certainly do, and I don't mind. Um, I do think that there's some very high strangeness concerning our our planet and the uh, immediate environs, including the moon. I don't mind saying this anymore. I've had too many. I don't know for a fact that there's bases on the far side of the moon, but I I sure as hell do wonder. I'll just say that. Mm -hmm. I've, I've spoken many times in my conversation uh, a number of years ago with Russell Targ. I don't mind saying it here very briefly. I had, Russell, of course, is one of the two people to develop the CIA-sponsored remote viewing program at Stanford Research Institute. <clears throat> uh, I've spoken with Russell at length a number of times. I've spoken with Hal Puthoff a number of times, uh, the other person who developed it. Russell said to me, point blank, a couple of years ago that uh, in the early 1980s, one of his tasks was to train remote viewers at Fort Meade, Maryland. Mm -hmm. Um, who were going to be remote viewing the dark, the far side of the moon. Mm -hmm. I asked him, why would they do that? You know, waiting for him to state the obvious. 
He threw it right back at me. Why do you think? He said. Mm -hmm. So then I thought, well, I'll bite. So I said, well, okay, were they looking for E.T.? Were they going to look for E.T.? He didn't say maybe. He didn't say no. He said yes. Mm -hmm. They were going to look for E.T. That was their job. I was a bit astonished that he just said that to me. I, I then asked, well, did they find E.T.? I mean, it's a normal question to ask. Right, yeah, those are the questions you want to ask. He said, well, I don't know. That wasn't that wasn't in my job. Mm -hmm. So whether he knows or not, I don't know. But I believe him. Mm -hmm. I, I had no reason to think that he was lying to me or deceiving me. Um, so think about it. Early 1980s, you got a program to train remote viewers to look for extraterrestrials on the far side of the moon. Why would they do this if they didn't have, in their mind, a reason to look? Mm -hmm. Well, and there's a number, I mean, then you get into all the different speculation, and it's interesting to speculate, but uh, SRI was pretty into some weird stuff that was seen weird even by their colleagues. I think McGonagall even says they were at best 20% accurate. No, that's right. So there, there's a lot, of, a lot of mistakes, but there is enough to give a reason to believe that there's something to remote viewing, but the point about the moon simply is that that's just one story. Yeah. There are a number of interesting moon stories that are out there that I don't have an easy way of dismissing. The Carl mm -hmm. Wolf story, I have a very difficult time dismissing Carl Wolf. I just do. Mm -hmm. And uh, what is this story? Carl Wolf uh, worked at uh, Wright Pat back in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Had a quick assignment at the NSA where he was uh, interacting with an NSA technician over, I'm trying to get this right, getting digital telemetry or digital uh, data from space satellites. This is early era of doing that. And apparently the guy that he was with had these moon photos that were being uh, looked at right at that time. Mm -hmm. And um, this guy showed Carl Wolf. Carl Wolf, uh, you know, many, he's said this story many times. Mm -hmm. Said he got scared because he realized he was looking at things and hearing about things that he was not cleared for. Yeah. Essentially what looked like structures on the moon. And he's spoken very explicitly about it in any number of YouTube videos one could find. A woman named Donna Hare gives similar type of testimony. She's not a direct witness, but claimed that she spoke with astronauts. In the, in the early 70s yeah. and talked about structures. And, and then there's just, there's more. There's yeah. all of these, and these stories just, uh, there's the Neil Armstrong story, which I, I think that I credit came from Timothy Good. There's this, you know, several of the crazy statements that Buzz Aldrin has made make you wonder what's going on with these people. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm of the opinion that there's very possibly, very possibly indeed, uh, a presence, a long-term presence of someone on the moon. Mm-hmm. When getting back to Breakaway, because I, I think yeah. that's interesting, and I, I well, there's yeah, not and much. I, I mentioned the moon because I, I thought right. it dovetailed with this idea of a Breakaway. Makes sense. Yeah. If, right. But I did want to ask you a question. Just one thing that always comes to mind with the Breakaway Society and these technologies that are being developed, it would seem that, and I just want to hear your thoughts, it would be difficult because as they develop these secret technologies, However, they're so secret they can't really use them in um, any public space. I mean, right. a lot of the, the the stealth helicopter they used in the Bin Laden uh, was a lot of it's still secret. Uh, some of the other crafts supposedly they're using over there right. are secret, um, but you can't you know use it very much. Um, are how do you get past? Are these things then being shelved, or you think they could possibly being used? I know you follow politics and the wars everywhere going on. Um, you know, how do you negotiate well, yeah, that? The point of these wars isn't to win them. The point of the wars, honestly, I mean, we really have to understand that we're not living in an era of nation states mm -hmm. anymore. They're kind of done. So what we have is an era of multinational groups that own a massive war industry that love making money on war. You don't need to have uh, 
you know, a laser firing flying saucer to uh, to take out ISIS when you could spend another trillion dollars of people's money and everyone can get rich in the process. Why would you do that? So what you do with these advanced technologies that are classified, if there's a purpose for them, that purpose would be would have to be consistent with the with the level of that technology. In other words, if you're going to be dealing with these other beings in any way, shape, or form, that's the technology that you'll use. And that technology would be a, a, a sufficiently high classification that its use would not be permitted for something as pedestrian as mere geopolitical conflict. Mm-hmm. Right? You want to fight your wars in Afghanistan or Iraq or anywhere else, the United States military has got more than ample weaponry to do basically what they want as long as they're spending a lot of money. Well, what so do they you don't do? need to use it. You know what I'm, understand what I mean here? I understand what you mean, but if these people have all the money, they have all the power, what more do they need? I mean, why would why would they want to develop these spacecraft? It's an age-old question. Mm-hmm. Go back 5,000 years to ancient Egypt and go on the banks of the Nile, and here's the Egyptian peasant who's got nothing, some fish in a little hut, and up the river's Pharaoh who's got all the gold in the world. Why does Pharaoh need more gold? I don't know. Maybe because Pharaoh doesn't really give a crap about the peasants, but Pharaoh's looking at the other kings and other royalty and competing against them. Because mm-hmm. that's really the only thing that matters. When you're at the top, the tippy top of the human food chain, you're competing against other people in your circle. It's like a game. How much wealth and how much power can they amass? Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. Well, and I agree, because <clears throat> if there are these people, because you look at history and you do see that sort of thing, but these people also keep themselves in check. Um, taking each other down peg by peg here and there so they can climb on top of each other. There's always, thank goodness there's power struggles at the top. (laughs) Exactly. And speaking of, you know, along those lines, uh, with ISIS and everything, and who knows what, I would think, you know, if Obama, for instance, knew there was a spaceship at flying at, uh, Area 51 that had lasers that could kill ISIS, he would probably use it. I don't know. You don't know? Why? Because he would be, the, obviously he's struggling politically, and I think all these politicians He'd be introducing radical revolutionary technology that would transform our infrastructure. That's a tall order to ask of any president. You know, uh, it is a saucers. tall order, but he would be the hero that took out ISIS because he finally unclassified this secret flying saucer with Hooray lasers. Hooray for Obama. I don't, yeah. Never, it would never happen. It would never go down mm-hmm. like that. Well, Never. It, it could be possible he has no clue that something like this exists, even if it does. He, I would guess he has not been briefed. I had a, I had a conver- I've mentioned this in public a few times, and I'll, I don't want to belabor something I've talked about over and over. One day I'm going to mention this man's name. He's a very prominent, very brilliant man who um, was high level at the CIA, and I, I just once asked him, uh, I had a few conversations with him. I said, well, what, what do presidents know? You know, one of the things that everyone wants to know. And his answer was essentially, some have known more than others. And um, he said, you know, presidents come and go. Some are reliable, some are not. Some drink. This is during W. Bush's presidency, and I don't know. <laughs> I really didn't under... It... In any case, he said, yeah. the, there are lifers who are there forever, and they manage the program. And, you know, a president is a public relations guy. He's got to kiss yeah. the baby, shake the hands. He's got to be the face. He, he cannot possibly manage the hundreds of special access programs that are out there that are often highly illegal right. and incendiary in one way or another, and he can do it logistically anyway. Yeah. So to let, you know, so for something as explosive as the presence of other beings from wherever the hell they're from with technology that would transform our world in an instant, no, I think not. Well, 
One of my favorite statements is Clinton's when he was asked, I think, in Hong Kong about uh, UFOs in Area 51 and stuff. And he said, well, I looked into it. I didn't find anything. But I wouldn't be the first president that uh, career bureaucrats have lied to. And he seemed to be like, right. ho-hum about it. Oh, well, I tried. They didn't tell me. Right. I'm busy with my other stuff. The impression that I got from this individual was that Clinton did not get very much information. That mm -hmm. He did say that Jimmy Carter knew. Ronald Reagan knew, and Bush Sr. knew. Oh, very interesting. Interesting yeah. that Carter would be in there. Well, you told me about a briefing that Carter supposedly had in June of 1977, mm -hmm. which left Carter apparently near near tears or sobbing. Really? I wrote about it in AD After Disclosure, and I may have written about it in my newest book, uh, I can't recall. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, this, is, this came from this gentleman in a very ultra-precisely described manner, this is a guy who qualifies everything five or six ways before he gives you his exact answer to a question. Mm -hmm. It's very precise. But um, anyway, I don't know how we got into that. Oh, Obama. Oh, and yeah, using yeah, flying yeah. saucers <laughs> yeah. to take out ISIS. Right. No, I just don't think so. I think, I think this is this would never happen. I think these politicians, that's all they care about. The world would be damned as long as they look good. They could be out there saying... Yeah, but, you know, the Obama are they saucer. really the ones in control? Are they really the well, ones Well, and that's the question. This? Unfortunately, if there is one, he probably wouldn't be allowed to use it. Sorry, Obama, we can't let you use it's, that. It's like Goodfellas. You become a made man. Mm -hmm. All right? You know, you attend a Bilderberg meeting in 1992. Your name's Bill Clinton. You become the next president. That's how it works. Obama, same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they become dipped into the world, and they, they understand that they, they've got to play ball with the people who put them into power. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess to that point, it gets a little bit off topic, but maybe not. Uh, and I know, you know, I've seen kind of some of your posts. It's almost like the media and everybody bullies around the president a lot. Um, and currently, uh, they seem to be against the public interest trying to bully Obama into escalating this war. Uh, well, you've got, there are a lot of crazy people um, in both parties who are really interested in the war. And as, as critical as I have been about much of Obama, I think of him as very much a continuation of the George W. Bush presidency. Nonetheless, if McCain had been elected president, McCain, I think, is truly insane. And mm. I think he would have tried to go to war with Russia, which would have been an absolutely really bad, wrong, stupid thing to do. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, there's, there's, a, there are these, uh, push, there's a push to escalate you know, it's basically what happens is you put a ring through people's nose and you lead them like a cattle through the field. In other words, they, they, they're pushing for war now. Mm -hmm. And they want to escalate this war against ISIS. Some of these people want to fight Russia. Boehner just made this ridiculously stupid statement about, well, if, uh, 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 if, what's his name? Who's the, the candidate who ran against Obama? Uh, Mitt Romney. Mm -hmm. If Romney had been elected, he would have punched Putin in the nose. <laughs> stupid. <laughs> juvenile statement right. like that is what uh -huh. Boehner just said. Who are these people that they actually think this is the yeah. war? Like, you're going to have a war with Russia? Yeah. Really? It's kind of funny because this makes me think of something you said in your talk, that maybe it's good that these guys are controlling things, and maybe we need to have, you know, some metering of what comes out to the public and stuff like that. Did I say that? You said something. Yeah, you did mm. say. You did pose that possibility. Maybe you don't feel that oh, way well, completely. Well, no, there, there are truths of this reality yeah. that could be very dark and very scary. 
But it, it might be good because I know people at the top have a lot of hard decisions to make that there there are people up there behind the scenes metering a Boehner or some of these other goofballs. What do you mean metering? I want to make sure I'm understanding. So that, that uh, you know, this sort of rhetoric isn't escalating out of control, that hopefully there oh, are okay. cooler heads behind the scenes right. that are prevailing. Right. There, There is this push... There's a definite push on Obama for him to be aggressive now in the Middle East. Look, no one likes ISIS. I mean, they're horrible. Yeah. They're most they're they're utterly bastards. reprehensible. Mm -hmm. um, and they are terrifying, for sure. But there are reason, the, the best thing that you can say about U.S. policy on this, and I know we're getting off of the UFO path, <laughs> the best thing you can say is that U.S. policy has been utterly, hopelessly incompetent, which led to the rise of ISIS. That goes from Bush to Obama, both of them. Bush you know, reckless invasion of Iraq in 03, which never had justification, ever, mm -hmm. ever. He did it anyway and wrecked that country's infrastructure and led directly to the radicalization that's resulted in ISIS. And then Obama's decision to bomb Syria in 2011. Equally just long-headed stuff. These people think that they can just go in there and run these countries without repercussion. That's the best you could say, is that this idiocy policy led to it. The, what you could also say is that there's something even more insidious behind the scenes. Turkey, a NATO ally, has absolutely led to us direct support of ISIS. And we, we are now seeing this very, very clearly. Right. Right under the nose of the U.S. And there's there are now claims, increasingly many of them, that have claimed that the CIA itself was uh, directly arming the individuals who became ISIS. It wouldn't shock me in the least. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and the, the most nefarious way to look at it, and I don't know that this is true, but uh, I don't rule it out, is that this is all a game. Mm -hmm. It's all a game to find a new, a new Hitler, a new evil enemy to spend to justify another near trillion dollars a year on in military weaponry that we cannot afford, mm -hmm. that we're blowing our future away on. I think it, it, luckily it came around, I think, to pertain to our conversation. But to kind of wrap things up, and at least uh, I want to get your perspective on this. I I never really deal with definitives. I think it's hard to do that in this field, to say never this or definitely that. And you spoke to this a little earlier. I mean, when I <clears throat> interpret when you talk about break breakaway societies and, and some of these ideas, is that they're very, very, like your whole book, A.D., uh, with, with Bryce, it's very interesting speculation and thought about what could happen, which is definitely right. helpful. I mean, do you feel definitive on a lot of these things? I would say, here's what I'm definitive about. If I were to be on like NBC News being grilled, what could I defend? Yeah. I could defend the fact that there is a phenomenon that our military has engaged for decades and generations that has never been supposed to exist but does exist. Mm -hmm. And I could say that that doesn't mean that I know that they're alien, but... There is a phenomenon with technology that it, that seems to have intention, violating sensitive airspace many, many times, getting high levels of concern elicited from high-level U.S. military planners and intelligence communities. That, I, I, I would say, I'm strongly, I could take that to the bank. There is, in other words, a phenomenon going on with something highly extraordinary that is not supposed to exist but does. Mm -hmm. Now, beyond that, we have many, many questions, and I could you know, give you maybe gradations of what I think is true or not. But the core, you know, with all of the madness that surrounds the UFO phenomenon, the difficulties and the, the genuine mysteries that are there, I'm always 
finding myself falling back to that core reality, which is that there is something happening here right. that is not supposed to, that demands public discourse. Right. Great. And hopefully, like you, because I do the same thing, fall back on that, and that inspires me to keep going. Is that what inspires you to keep going? The main thing that inspires me to keep going is simply the desire to keep exploring. Mm -hmm. I could never just do a regular job in some company or office yeah. or anything. I just, I'm not capable. I have to explore. I have to keep pushing. And this is, uh, I, I've stumbled into, I think, maybe the greatest mystery that I could possibly have ever stumbled onto. And, mm -hmm. um, I, I, I don't pretend that I'll ever get to the, the full final answer to it. I doubt it. I think what we're dealing with is a phenomenon that's just beyond the limits of maybe what the human mind even can comprehend. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that there's no value in the journey. It doesn't mean that there's it's not a valuable uh, attempt. Mm -hmm. So I get satisfaction out of that. And, um, and beyond that, I believe in the political, uh, the political necessity or justness of trying to get our our system back to some semblance of responsiveness to people mm -hmm. and you know the ufo phenomenon isn't the only knife in the back of the american republic there have been mm -hmm. several the creation of empire uh, the creation of the mass media but it's one it's a significant one and it's it's prompted a lot of these things that have undermined um you know the ideals and things that we most of us grew up believing in mm -hmm. so i think getting a government to be responsive on this most important of issues is a fight worth having I think it's being adult and responsible as a citizen too. I mean, I agree with you so much that, you know, we always struggle to engage the mainstream because just pulling out of everything, it's kind of like not doing your civic duty. That's right. Get in their face, you know. I grew up with a, a my. I've often spoken of my dad. He's still around. He's a retired New York City cop, and my father inspired me in more ways than I could possibly imagine. My dad was a very active undercover cop in New York. Worked Mike Tyson's old neighborhood in Bedford-Stuyvesant wow. in Brooklyn. And um, my dad was kind of a uh, fighting police corruption in his day. He lost his battles, <clears throat> um, but he gave it a good fight. And I remember being about 10 years old. I was a skinny little tiny kid, and my dad was a huge guy. And he put his big, I was sitting on the couch with him, and he put his big hand on my knee, and he said, listen, in your life, you're going to fight a lot of fights. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? <laughs> what do you I don't want to fight. Well, I had a lot of those as a kid, actually. <laughs> but I, I, he was thinking of something else, and I wasn't quite getting it. And he said, and there may be times when you are, uh, you are a minority of one, surrounded by a thousand people who are trying to shout you down and tell you how wrong you are. He said, but if you, if you have justice on your side and if you have truth on your side, never be afraid to fight. And never be afraid to win. And he, you know, he said that to me. Awesome. And I was this ten-year-old boy, and um, it made a big impact on me. Mm -hmm. I just gobbled it up. And it's funny now because in my first uh, few years when I was researching UFOs, I didn't tell my my dad or my mom. I was like, you know, sneaking <laughs> yeah. around with my UFO classic uh, ufologist. Exactly. And then when I I kind of came out with it, uh, it was gratifying to me that both of my parents were kind of happy about it. Um, my dad now, you know, he gets worried about me. He says, ah, Richie, mm. you know, uh, you're putting yourself out there a little bit. I said, hey, man, this is exactly what you did. Don't give me any grief. <laughs> and then he laughs because he knows it's uh -huh. true. Well, that's awesome. That's a good place to end. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure, Alejandro. Thank you so much to Richard Dolan for being on the show. 
his website used to be Keyhole Publishing, but uh, uh, some of you are probably aware he's seen that change that to the Richard Dolan Press. So you can uh, Google him at Richard Dolan Press, and you'll get all of the latest information, including the latest books that he has been publishing, uh, and some good ones, including a new one by Bruce Maccabee. So that's pretty exciting. So it was a lot of fun to talk about him, and it's always fun to touch on some subjects that uh, that need to be traversed delicately uh, because, you know, that's where the fun stuff is, where we can kind of uh, talk about some of the stuff we disagree on or, or come to understandings or not agree to disagree in many cases. So I'm sure there will be some conversation uh, spawned by our conversation where some will choose not to agree to disagree and will disagree vehemently and loudly like, uh, of course, people are prone to do on the line, those grouchy sons of guns. But, of course, many of you will uh, enjoy uh, in a kind way. And, uh, of course, we do love uh, to hear your responses on our Facebook or on our page at openminds.tv. So we love to hear from everybody. We love to hear from listeners, too, when we go places. So it was a lot of fun to hear from some of the listeners. Um, it was fun because at the phone booth... I was uh, met a couple there uh, when we were going out of town who were at the conference that were also there taking pictures of the, the famous phone booth where Travis Walton reappeared. And we were talking, and the lady's like, I recognize your voice from somewhere. <gasps> oh, are you Alejandro? And, oh, you're from Open Mind. So she was a listener. Uh, UFO Angel is what she goes by. It's her online title. So uh, hello to you all. It was nice to meet you. And uh, it was nice to meet other listeners. I'll also be at Paula Harris's conference this weekend in Laughlin. Um, I think it's called like UFO Nostalgia. But uh, that's in Laughlin, Nevada this weekend. So that ought to be interesting. And I'll be there. Uh, if you want to say hi, that would be wonderful. But uh, as Rich and I talked about, it's very important that you are at the UFO Congress this year because we are having Bob Lazar in an exclusive historical appearance where he will come and do a QA and a uh, that will be hosted by George Knapp that will um, follow a presentation by George Knapp on Bob Lazar's case and uh, I invite you, if you're a skeptic, I invite you especially to come and check it out because uh, you know how Jason and I are on the show. We like to look at things with a critical eye and uh, and George Knapp, you know, has some compelling things to say about Bob Lazar, and uh, I think he's going to tackle some of the tough questions. I've asked a lot of UFO researchers, including Rich and others, to be sure to give me their questions. Someone else I saw this weekend and spoke to at length was Mr. Stanton Friedman. And it's kind of funny because lots of people were saying, well, you know, you're having Bob Lazar. Stanton Friedman would never go to a conference with Bob Lazar being there. It's not the case at all. Uh, you know, Stanton, he, I asked him about that. He told him people were saying that. And he said, oh, that's silly. I'd be kind of a coward if I wasn't uh, wanting to be present and, and something like that. So he does want to be there. Our speaker list is full. And we've had Stanton recently. So he won't be speaking but he did ask if he could be there. He wants to be a vendor, so he's going to try to work it out. So he is there, and I think that will be a lot of fun. I also told him, make sure to give us your questions and we'll ask. But uh, that way, after people see Lazar talk, they can go over and say, hey, Stanton, what did you think? Or, uh, you know, and, and who knows? 
maybe Stanton will see it and say, well, uh, you know, there is some compelling stuff that I have to look at here. Who knows? I don't know. But it'll be neat if he, he, if he does show up. So definitely come to the UFO Congress. Tickets are selling very quickly. We are about to send out a print um, piece that we mail out, a mailer to people. And once we ship that out, you know, the registrations come fast and furious. We already have a lot of registrations. Rooms are still available at the host hotel, so go reserve your room there. Uh, if for some reason you don't get there in time, luckily there are nearby hotels that you can stay out that are very pleasant as well and very close. And the weather, of course, will be great. Uh, those of you from the East Coast or like Jason and, and Boise are facing some colder weather, but you can come out here in February where it's nice and pleasant. There's even people in the pool, the hot tub uh, in February out here, so it's a lot of fun. So check out the UFO Congress. Check out Spacing Out on our YouTube. Uh, a lot of great fun stuff there. And uh, then also uh, check out everything else we have. We're, oh, I wanted to mention the video. One of the other cool things we're going to have on YouTube, uh, like I said, we're getting a video put together on uh, the Travis Walton UFO Encounter site. Hopefully we'll have that up Friday, if not early next week. But I told you that we went to MUFON their boot camp uh, a week or so ago we're going to have that video up in the next couple of days and we got some really good interviews you're going to want to check out that i know you're going to like some really cool stuff there so we'll have that up soon too on our youtube site and again you can find this all at openminds.tv or on youtube you can look for our channel called open minds tv or you can go to the ufocongress.com or more. Thank you all for joining us and thank you to Caleb Hanks for doing the opening and close music. You can find uh, him by Googling Clerk Chronicles and all kinds of free cool music there. Uh, thank you to the PSN Network who also plays uh, the show and thank you all so much for listening. We love you people. We really do. When we put this together, it is out of love for our wonderful listeners. You guys are awesome. Until next week, adios muchachos.